I was at a wedding this weekend uh, up in Kingston, and it was honor and privilege as always is. It was also a really unique experience. At this wedding, um, a friend who I had actually had the honor of baptizing and now was being married, and she's being married to a soldier. And so that was kind of an interesting experience to see all uh, in, the, in the audience, people all done up in their different uniforms with medals and things. And, and I was in the, in the back room with uh, the best men, and it was really kind of a unique experience to be there with these soldiers, and then some of them had these medals, and I, went, I was pointing at them, and they were like, really good, you didn't touch them, because you're not supposed to touch them. And, and, I, and as I spoke with them, um, he had a sword, and the sword was part of the outfit, but part of the tradition, I guess, in the Canadian military is that you don't bring the sword into a church, or, or, you, or you don't wear it in a church. So he, it was in the church, but he didn't, you don't wear it, and he didn't wear his hat either. In the, during the ceremony. And I thought it was really interesting because uh, we're in the back there and he has a sword and he kind of, he looks at me and he take, picks up the sword and he kind of does this with it. Holds it like that to me. Like, handle first. And I'm like, me? And he's, yeah. And so I, I take the sword. I'm holding it. It's lighter than I thought. And I'm just thinking about it. He's telling me that this has been passed down through a family and it's like a, been a sword that's been around for a long time. There's been a lot of, you know, honorable Defenders of our country have been holding this sword, and uh, I'm holding it, and I'm just kind of overcome with this experience. And then he says to me, I forgot to tell you, there's a tradition that you don't draw the sword without drawing blood. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And I looked around him with all these soldiers and said, I think my safest bet is to cut myself. <laughs> And of course, he was joking, but I, I thought that, I, that kind of stuck in my head, and I, and I thought about that, and it kind of reminded me of our series when we're talking about the gifts that God has given to us, he's presented to us, and he wants us to take them, and he wants us to use them. And so today, as we start talking about more specifically different types of gifts, we're going to enter into what I call the motivational gifts. These are the gifts that are, are given, in a sense, to help motivate the congregation as a whole in their service of God. And so as we talk about the, the idea of these motivational gifts, uh, they're about equipping, equipping the saints. So I want to turn uh, kind of the prelude to the, a big, bigger chunk. We're going to begin in Ephesians 4, 7, to kind of get the, the interlude or the kind of leading up to what we're going to talk about today. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's what we've been talking about the last two weeks. To each of us, a grace has been given to you by Jesus. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ as ascension. But it talks about what he's done in his victorious resurrection. He's given to each of us gifts. His people, he's given gifts. It's actually the picture of a general or an emperor after having a victory in the military coming back into the city and lavishing gifts to the people as he's coming in. This is a picture of Christ, and you kind of see this. He's, he's giving his gifts to his people in his victory. And then it's really interesting, the gifts 
They are given. They're kind of not what you expect, or they're not exactly what we've been seeing so far. They're a little different. The gifts, it says, are this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. The gifts are people. He gave people to the church as a gift. He gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? Why would you give people to the church? Well, it says very clear, they're to equip the people for his works of service. The point of these people being given to the church is to equip the church. Equip. Equip. It's not just like a witty comment on Facebook or anything. He's building up his church by giving specific people doing specific things to help give the entire church what it needs to serve God together. So that the body of Christ may be filled up, so that we can be mature and united. So we got to look at this a little bit deeper because there's a lot of questions around this passage and there's different thoughts and theologies actually around this and you can see this in different denominations even differing on this. And so I want to go into it a little bit. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. One of the first questions that probably popped in your mind are, are, is that still for today? That's a good question, because we know that the 12 apostles were a very specific group of people that God had given to the church, that they, including Paul, who became a kind of a, a, a new apostle, giving a very specific mission by Jesus himself to reach those who were not Jewish. But this group, this 13 will say, were given very specific duties. And in fact, one of the things that they end up doing is being those who help pen the New Testament. They either write the New Testament themselves or under their authority the New Testament is written. For example, the book of Mark was written because he was under Peter's instruction. So this is a really important thing we recognize. There's, there's, there's these apostles who are really important. The ones who God himself hand-selected. Jesus was on earth hand-selecting these 12. Very special role that they play. And they're very unique. And we're not going to see the like of them as we're walking around. But the question starts to become, is there, is there any role in which the apostles still play in the church? Then there's different answers to that question. For example, the Catholic Church says, yeah, there is still an apostolic role. And they believe, in fact, that the bishops are descended spiritually from the first apostles. The hands are laid upon them. And so they call this the apostolic model, where the bishops are actually functioning as apostles still in the church. And then you kind of have an apostle of apostles, and that's the Pope. 
But it's not just the Catholic Church that would say in some ways this idea of an apostolic model of authority is still around. You'd have some, some charismatic groups and some Pentecostal churches would say, well, we have an apostolic model. And what they believe is that their, their lead pastor, their senior pastor, is the, uh, filling the apostolic role. So they kind of have this authority. They're given this authority over the church. And yes, they have a, a council, a pastor's council kind of advise them, but they kind of lead the church as the apostolic voice in the church. I would say I personally am not comfortable with the apostolic model. I've gone through it. I've actually been in it. I've, I've seen it. And, and as I've really reflected on the scriptures, I reflect on this passage, what I've started recognizing is uh, I, I like the, the model that this church has, which is why I'm probably here. And this is the, the model that the, the leadership of the church isn't to be just put, put into one person. Uh, they lead with their gifts. This is the idea that actually the leadership of the church is, sometimes the word is used fivefold ministry. The leadership of the church is meant to be a team thing. And it's different individuals having different gifts together working with the spirit and recognizing that they together will be able to hopefully discern what the spirit is saying for the church and help guide it and lead it in that way. Often this can be called plural leadership. So you saw your leadership team up here today. Sometimes it's called polycentric leadership, the idea that the leadership of the church, at some, certain times God is using certain people to do certain things and, and lead in certain areas. What I want to throw out there, whether or not you want to talk about there still being you know, apostles or prophets, the, the idea here is that we're given a picture of the gifts that God gave to the church, and it helps us understand the types of people that God is using to help lead in the church. And so I wanted to kind of de delve into this a little bit deeper and understand what are, what are these offices or what, who are these people that God is helping and guiding and leading a church? And then also, are they leading in other ways and what capacities are these people reflective of certain gifts? I want to point out right away that this passage is not the only passage that talks about gifts, so we've got to balance it with other ones. But it's also an important one. And I think it's really useful to help us understand some of the pictures of what I call the motivational gifts, the gifts that God gives to people in order to help inspire and lead and hopefully organize and help guide the church to use all of their gifts together to serve God. And so Christ himself gave the apostles. We talked about this and whether we can use this term apostle for other people I, I, here I want to talk about, rather than talking about someone being an apostle, like I want to be like, the Apostle Paul Miller, right? or Prophet Cole. And some churches do that, right? I, th that's not what we're, I would be comfortable with doing. What I'm talking about here is talking about the idea that certain people would have gifts that would be in line with what the gifts of the apostles were in the, in the old times. Does that make sense? Um, I remember being at a Vision Ministries conference, and Mike Stone, who's now the, the head of the Vision Ministries, was talking about this, and, and he's talking about helping get churches together to do initiatives together and kind of figure out ways that we do that. And, and, and he, talked, he was trying to talk about this idea of some leadership kind of in guiding churches working together, and he used, he's using the word like entrepreneurial, uh, apostle-like, just, just to kind of help people recognize what we're talking about is this, this gifting that's kind of a, a visionary-driven type of gifting. I want to I point out the word apostle is not only applied to the 12 apostles in, in the New Testament. Here's a list of other apostoli. 
James, Jesus' brother, is called an apostle in Galatians 1.19. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14.14. 14. Apollos is called an apostle in Corinthians 4.6-9. Timothy and Silvanus, who we know are like Paul's underlings, are also called apostles in Thessalonians. Epaphroditus, who's gotten sick and is kind of worrisome to Paul, he's called an apostle. And then we have these two brothers who are called apostles in 2 Corinthians, and we're not sure whether Titus is part of that or not. If you read that passage, you kind of, is Titus also one of them? And then finally, kind of more controversially, have Andronicus and Junia, this married couple who are said to be, some translations say, well-known amongst the apostles. Others would say that they are um, apostles themselves. But in any case, here's some people who are called apostles who are not the apostles. We'll call them apostle-like. They, they exhibit certain ways of helping lead and, and give to the church that are very helpful. Because the term apostle, by the way, just means messenger. It's a messenger. Christ envoys. When I think about apostle-like people who are gifted in the church, I think of people who are creating new things, who are helping start new ministries, who are always thinking about God pushing us forward into new things and trying to work his vision out for our community. The term could be sent ones. The ones who are, are sent out or are helping the church be sent out. They're thinking about the future. They're trying to build bridges. They're trying to work between churches. They develop leaders. They're networking. Trying to think, what, what, what is next, God? Where can we take this thing? Really important gift to the church. We need that. However, I just want to point out, if all leaders in a church were apostolic-like only, there'd be some lack of balance. Because then you just have people who are always thinking about the new things. They're always pushing forward. Sometimes the, the, those who have this gifting are kind of seen as insensitive because they're more focused on where they're going than maybe necessarily on, on the people who are helping get us there. A good example for me would be like church planters. Right? People are starting new works for God. They're excited. And, they, and they're growing. But a lot of times what happens with church planters, they're in it for a couple years, and then they're like, where's the next church God wants? And that's not a bad thing. It might be, you know, sometimes we, we get worried and we, we miss them. And, but there's something about that where they're, where they're like, I'm on, God wants me to continue on. Paul would plant a church today for a couple years. He's gone. Trailblazers. Moving on to the next thing. And in that spirit, we'll move on to the next thing. So Christ himself gave the prophets. We'll talk more about Paul talking about prophecy two weeks from now. So that'll be its own little thing. But here we have this idea of the prophets. And who are the prophets? And were the prophets just the Old Testament? Well, no, there's definitely New Testament prophets. For example, Paul is called a prophet. He has a band of prophets. This is before he starts going on his missions. Uh, we see uh, in uh, Acts, there's a, a verse that talks about the prophets. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. By the way, Niger just means black, so we already have this international and African leader in the church. We also have here, uh, they're in Syria. We have Europeans. It's a very international church right off the get-go. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
We also have Judas and Silas who are called prophets in the scripture. So this is an interesting role in the church. Uh, early on in the Didache, if you read that ancient document, it talks about this role. Um, when you think about the, the, the prophetic voice in the church or people who are leaders in the church who are kind of on that prophetic side of things, I like to think of the, the, the creative they're kind of letting God speak and, and, and realize that he, he might want to do some new things. They're also kind of calling people out on things. The prophetic voice is always trying to look at the culture and look at the scriptures and going, this is, not, this is where it's not aligning. And there's, so there's, there's always this kind of edge to the prophetic voice, right? Where it, kind of, it can kind of cut. You're not being faithful to God in this way. Here's what God wants to do. Sometimes it's, it's creative and, and, and just hearing what God wants to speak to, to us. They're kind of looking for God's will. They want to correct and challenge. They want to make sure God is obeyed. Question the, the, the status quo at times. Sometimes it's actually to encourage. It's kind of the, just, you know, I think God really wants to encourage us right now. I had someone come to me uh, about a month ago and before this series had started and uh, they were talking to me and they're like, you know what, I was praying and I just got this picture. And you're always kind of like, okay, we'll see what's going to what follows this. And, and so I, and I'm like, I saw the, a, a big tree, and it was growing, and I saw the, the congregation, and they all had these presents that were under the tree, and they were opening up their presents, and there were these gifts they had, and they were opening them up. And then she said, and then the next day, I got an email, and it said that you're having a series on the gifts. Do with that what you will. But I was really just encouraged, like, oh, right, Okay. This is, this is an encouraging thing for me to hear. So there's, there's interesting uh, ways in which the, the, the prophets can speak to people. One of the things about the prophetic voice, though, if there was only the prophetic voice in the church, you'd have some problems because the prophets can sometimes, it can hurt, it can sting, right? It can cut when you hear some of these truths that are, are being... Other times the prophets can kind of just be more concerned with the other world and maybe not as connected with down here. And so that's why God wants that voice with other voices interacting. So Christ himself gave the evangelist. I, I'm kind of sad when I look at the North American church. I think the evangelists are underrated and under-equipped and underutilized. I think a lot of us are scared of the evangelists and, and scared to be evangelists. The evangelists are basically the people who are so excited about the good news, it just kind of fuses out of them. I think a lot of times they're actually quite uh, friendly and immensely likable. There's something about those evangelistic people. And uh, what I find interesting about uh, people who are kind of got this evangelist side to them is that their Christian friends are always kind of nervous around them because they don't know what they're going to say to your friends who's not a Christian, Right? What I find is interesting, though, it's always the Christian who usually is a little bit more uncomfortable than the non-Christians in that discussion. Because non-Christians are like, oh, this guy's cool. And if you try to talk to them like that, if you don't have that gift, you're like, they'd be like, stop your religion on me, right? But when this guy's talking, like, oh, Fred's really friendly. And oh, well, he's, we had a great conversation. And you're kind of like, I tried to talk about this for years. Well, they're, just, they're just gifted that way. And one of the things I would say is our job to help the, the evangelists is to create rooms. Like, have a, if you, if you, we're going to talk about this next week, the gifts of service, but uh, if you are hospitable, have a, a barbecue and then make sure your friend there who loves talking about Jesus is there and they can just walk around and talk to people, right? Helping them, give them that, that chance. This idea of the, the evangelists, what they're trying to do is they, they're infectious communicators. They have passion. They, they love Jesus. They can't help but share him. And there's something about them that the Spirit's kind of coming out of them. It's like, oh, this is... 
This is beautiful. They want to talk about what Jesus has done for them. And give, they want people to have personal responses. Right? They want to reach the people who don't know the good news. I just want to point out that we're doing Alpha on Tuesday at Shoeless Joe's at 7.30. Um, it's a great place for a safe space. So if you have any friends who you think would like to, maybe are interested, or maybe you're an evangelist, you can invite them. Or maybe you could be just someone who comes and will meet some of the, those people there. It's a great place, to, kind of an easy place to start talking about Jesus with people. Now, the evangelist, if all we had was evangelists in the church, one of the problems would be that we would just always be focusing outside. Be looking outside, trying to invite people to Jesus. Uh, sometimes people get upset with evangelists because they think they're shadow. Because all they talk about is just the basic gospel. That's because the people need to be fed with just the basic gospel out there, right? We need the evangelists, but there's that side where we sometimes start to be a little critical. We think, oh, what about the maturing and the, and the strengthening of the faith of people? And that's true. That's why God gave us pastors. Christ himself gave the pastors. Pastor, that word means shepherd. Remember when uh, Jesus was preparing to leave and he, he talked to Peter and he forgave Peter? And then what was the thing he said to Peter? Feed my sheep. I love my flock. Feed them for me. Be a shepherd. John talks about himself being a pastor. There's this idea in which the shepherd is there to help nurture the congregation and the people. The shepherd is there to help protect from wolves. Paul's very clear with the elders at Ephesus, watch out for the wolves. They are there to help mature the poor and to care for people. When I think of someone uh, pastoral, I immediately think of someone like Nancy who just knows all of your names and cares about you and is personally kind of hit by things that's happening. Like, they care. That's something I, I myself have felt personally is probably one of the things that God's called me to is that kind of pastoral care, shepherding, thinking about people. This is something in my heart, right? Where you have a heart for people. Now, one of the things about shepherds, and if you had only shepherds in the congregation, there could be the problem of they value stability, protection. They want to care for people. So it's really easy to become insular and just be focused on who is here and making sure they're fed. And, and, just, and you, you, can, you can easily forget that visionary part, right? If that's all that was leading the church. So Christ gave himself teachers, by the way, pastor-teacher is an interesting term because usually in, in the Greek, there's chi's between each one. There's some questions on whether or not it's pastor-teacher dash or if it's pastor and teacher. We'll, just, we'll, we'll stick with this five-fold side of things. The pastor, the teacher, the teacher is someone who like, loves reading and studying. They love God's word. They, they dig into it. They get excited about Greek participles and things like that. They, they want to communicate that clearly, and, they, and they, re, they recognize that there's ways to take what the Bible says and then transmit it to God's people so they can take it in and then apply it to their lives. And that's the role of a teacher, to help understand the scriptures, explain the scriptures, help others remain biblically grounded, discern God's will, look for wisdom, be faithful to God's word. Now, first of all, it says in the scriptures that the teachers are judged more harshly. 
So that's an important thing. And there's a reason for that because the teachers, as they speak to people and teach people, they can easily kind of try to lead people's thoughts astray. We see this in all sorts of cults and things, right? You see things go really bad with bad teaching. There's also uh, the danger of people having a desire for fame and presence. People think, oh, I want to be in front of the group of people, and right? That, that's part of the danger there. But if you don't have proper teaching, then you won't have people who are grounded in Christ, and then Christ won't be able to work through them. So remember, this, these five groups of people are brought to the church for one purpose, and that is to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. That's why we call these motivational gifts. I was talking to Brent at the break, and he said he likes the word catalyst, catalytic. It's a good point. Like, these are gifts that, which are helping people open up and use their gifts in the church. And it can happen in different ways. We can't let them dominate one another either. In leadership, you have to be careful that just one thing is being expressed. God wants them to work together. And I see this on our, our pastoral staff. I, I, I love to see the different gifts that play. I see it on the leadership team as well. How you, it's interesting, if you're ever at a leadership team meeting, it's interesting, you can kind of tell those who are like the more apostolic, those who are a little bit more shepherding. And at the same time, I don't want to be pigeonholing people either. It's not like just you're only this or that. Like the apostle Paul was all five. He's explicitly called them each. You see, uh, for example, John being a shepherd, but also being prophetic and also being an apostle. So we recognize that, that you grow in these things. But we as a church, the leadership of the church's job, the motivational gifts of the church are there to help equip you for works of service. And so hopefully we're, we're, we keep talking about a leadership pipeline and figuring out how, how is discipleship working, how do people move along as they're growing and maturing in Christ? How, when do they enter into leadership? I'd say this principle really helps in your CovCom. Maybe a good little place to, to work this out is like, who in your CovCom is a little bit more on that prophetic side? You know, they're always giving that sharp word. Or who in your CovCom is more, uh, CovComs, by the way, are our small groups. Who in your, your small group be someone who's like more pastoral than shepherding? Who's one's a little bit more of a teacher? Recognizing even in any groups of people, that God uses this inter interworking. Or in your ministry team, maybe you're leading a team, uh, the, the refugee team, for example. And, and that team, it's good to have balancing and recognizing these voices are, are there. The result, when this is working properly, is unity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Unity, maturity, and fullness of Christ will blossom when this is all working well. So the church is given godly people to help lead the congregation in different gift sets. Often this is called APES. I have a, a picture here. You can kind of look at the apostles are going out. The prophets are trying to speak what God is saying. The evangelists are sharing the word. The shepherds are taking care of each other. The teachers are kind of helping thoughts. And when this is all happening really well, you start to recognize, oh, this is... This is Beautiful. Now, one of my questions for you is, are you an equipper? Do you, do you see in yourself some of these gifts? Maybe they're, little, they're nascent, maybe they're little, and, and you need to serve in certain areas and grow them. But are you using your gifts? This is some of the stuff that appeals to you, like, oh, I really, I really love like, opening up the Word of God. I realize that. Hey, maybe leading a Bible study would be a good thing for you. 
or I'm, I really like to see things get done in the community. Like, hey, maybe it's, it's, you got to help work it with Rolling Horse and figure out ways we can to reach. Maybe you're an evangelist. If you are a motivator, how, do you, how could you be using those gifts? I also want to throw this out there. Um, you don't need to be in an official position of leadership to use the gifts that God gave you, right? So start evangelizing. Or maybe start something new for God. Or speak the truth of God to people so they can hear the voice. Teach the word in your sphere of influences. Care for and nurture people who are around you. And, and maybe you're not necessarily feeling like you're, you're identifying with these gifts. Like you're like, yeah, that's not for me. That's for the leadership. And, I'm, and we're, we're going to talk about service gifts. And we're going to talk about other gifts in the next few weeks. But I want to just say to you, Maybe some of these gifts are necessary, though, even just in your, in your home. Maybe you're your parent, and you realize, oh, actually, I have to motivate my kids to get up in the morning to go to school. Maybe i got to motivate them to know what God is saying in the Word. Recognizing that maybe he's, he's using these things and building them up in each of us anyways, and start to look for those things. The whole body needs these motivational gifts in ways that complement each other. That's why we have the ministry fair at the back there. So if you're thinking about this stuff, maybe just walk around and go, hey, where can I use one of my gifts in one of these areas? I also want to throw this out to you. When you look to the leadership or you look at people around you, recognize it's really easy to, to, to criticize the weakness and, not, and miss the strength. Oh, that person, they're always just, they don't, they don't care about people. They're always just going forward and pushing forward. Or that person, they're just always only caring about people inside the church. Oh, that person's not so deep. That person's just got their head in the books all the time. You get what I'm saying? It's really easy to, to critique. But maybe we should look at is like, what's the strength this person's showing? And kind of give some grace in those areas. Maybe help them learn to grow in those areas. But recognizing giving strength. The, the grace because God's brought them all together so they serve together to lead the church and to help strengthen the church and equip the church. Now we see this. I was thinking about the wedding. Armies, right? Armies need different gifts. You got the, you got the infantry and the Navy and the Air Force. But you also have like engineers who are building things. You got intel. All different parts. Or uh, the wedding itself. Uh, I know Gailey would know in terms of planning a wedding. you got lots of different people you need at the wedding. You, you need the planner. You need an officiant. You need MCs. You need people to help put things out. You need someone who's taking care of all the family members whose emotions are getting hurt along the way somehow. But in every stage of human life, there, we recognize these different aspects are necessary for a group to come together and really do something. How much more so is it important that the church has this? How thankful are we that God himself has given the church these people? And the body of Christ will use these gifts and see these gifts help us grow into the fullness of Christ. When I think about the Lord's Supper, you think of that picture, famous picture, right? The 12 gathered around Jesus. And I wonder if he's, as he's looking around, I wonder if some of this is in his mind, like, Peter is definitely the more apostolic type there, right? He's pushing forward. and John, I can see being very prophetic. You start to wonder about, 
if he, as he's looking at the 12, like he called this group together to function as a unit, and he's recognizing all these different pieces of the puzzle need to work together in order for it to work. Because none of them are going to be perfect like he is. He has it all in all of its fullness. But in the church, he's putting together a team so that it can somehow come together. This group of 12 people at this table are going to somehow build up his church and see his message and his salvation cross the entire globe. And it worked. And it's working. And we are continuing that. So he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. You are my body. And he took the, the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread and you Drink from this cup. You proclaim that Jesus Christ died, cleansed us from all the darknesses in our lives, and is equipping us with his power to come together as one body and represent him to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gifts. We thank you for all the people that are here in this room that you've brought together. We thank you that you are uniting them. We thank you that we complement each other, that our strengths and our weaknesses are all brought by the Holy Spirit together to create this beautiful thing that you call the body of Christ. So I pray, Lord God, even as we gather around the table today, even as we partake of the blood and the body of Christ, would you draw us together in unity? Would this be part of helping us mature, helping us be united, helping us come closer to the fullness of Jesus Christ? In his name we pray, amen.